Hello and welcome to season four, episode two of Dualist Community. I am having fun. Mine's been pretty quiet. Haven't been resisting that so much anymore like I was for the past few days. Appreciating it and uh, appreciating what I'm able to do with this reality. I'm appreciating what you're able to do with this reality. I think that it's very entertaining to watch how because you're not thinking about yourself as much, because you're not as worried about how people perceive you, you're able to actually express certain insights that you would have at one point felt uncomfortable expressing. And for anybody who's wondering, we're very much talking about our recent episodes of Dualistic Unity Raw, where we talk about the more controversial topics and tend to get a little bit more riled up as we do so, because none of it's been fleshed out. All of it's very much coming out as we are processing it with you. And so as a result, there's a certain degree of vulnerability. That's enjoyable. And a lot of insights go with that. But that all said, this is the second episode of season four. I'm very excited. Season four has been exciting for us so far. As you know, we are on this full time. Now we are doing five days of group discussions and live events every week. So you can connect with us in a number of different ways on Patreon, on Instagram, on TikTok. Uh, Twitch is now a platform that you will find us on as well. You can access the schedule at dualisticunity.com under the community tab in the group and live stream schedule page. All that behind us, no more announcements. I would like to get to the guest that we have today with us, which is Mila Holmes. You can find her on Instagram or TikTok at Holmes. She is a social media master. She does marketing and management. Of course, she's also a social media creator. What's great about her content is that it's coming from a place of authenticity and it's coming from the understanding that you can do anything if you just put enough time and attention in and don't get in your own way. She shares easy and simple to apply tips about entrepreneurship, uh, fulfillment, and of course, how to enjoy all of your forms of expression. And so I... I'm very happy to have stumbled across her content. I'm glad to have her here today for this conversation. Uh, Mila, if you don't mind just telling our audience a little bit more about yourself and of course, how you came to be the spectacular person that you are. Oh my goodness, what an intro, thank you. Um, a little bit about myself, oh gosh. Uh, Chicago-based, moved here for three, four years ago from Arizona to have a fresh start. Part of that fresh start was my content making. It feels a little weird being called a content creator. I don't know how you guys feel about that term, but it's definitely the role I've fallen into now. And yeah, it's been a wild ride. I've met so many incredible people through the world of social media, learned so many things I never thought I would learn from just personal experience and from other creators as well. And yeah, I grew up with a very entrepreneurial mother, so it just made sense to kind of learn as much as I could and do something with it. That's how I ended up here. That's awesome. We're very happy to have you. And I'm excited for this conversation because, you know, in my research of you and everything as I do in preparation for these episodes, I came across a lot of, you know, podcasts you've been on talking about what you do currently and, you know, the work that you do. And it's very social media focused. And I really want to talk about you and and your story because it's it's pretty interesting. The little little bits that you've told me from from what I know growing up and I think there's a lot that people will be able to resonate through your experiences and and you know what you're even currently going through outside of all the work stuff and you know we can get into all of that too because we're in the same vein and and we could probably learn stuff from each other but um, yeah so 
as you mentioned to me, you were previously a Jehovah's Witness and you were baptized in it when you were younger and then left it or, you know, kicked out. I, I wasn't sure how you, how you put that, but got kicked out about nine years later. Um, so I guess what better place to start than a little bit about that experience? Let's go. Yeah. Okay. Getting out of it. Right in. Um, yeah. So I was baptized when I was nine and baptism is a very serious thing for Jehovah's witnesses. I, I don't, what's your, what's your background, right? What's your religious background, if any? I was born and raised Roman Catholic in about the most extreme sense of Roman Catholicism, but I've had a number of friends from different branches of Christianity and different belief systems. My first best friend was a Jehovah's Witness. And so I I had a lot of exposure to their entire way of life and their perspectives, which aren't incredibly different when it comes down to the core of what they're trying to accomplish, but there are differences for sure. Mm -hmm. What about you, Andrew? Catholic as well, right? Catholic as well. Yeah. Not, not in any sort of extreme, but yeah, went through went to a pretty extreme Catholic middle school. I would say it was very conservative Catholic. Um, but yeah, and then just kind of slowly dwindled out of it as less and less of it made sense to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So the reason I ask that is I'm always curious to know what baptism means for other denominations. Because for Jehovah's Witnesses, baptism is it's like a marriage vow. It's like signing a contract where when you're baptized, you're agreeing to be a servant of God through the Jehovah's Witness religion for the rest of your life. And there's no breaking that without dire consequences. And really there's, there's two ways out of that vow. Either you leave um, or you're kicked out of that. So you're, and that's what happened to me. So when I turned 18, I was excommunicated or disfellowshipped as Jehovah's Witnesses say, and yeah, premarital sex, big no, no for the witnesses. And there, there was this, this big, and I'm sure it's the same with Catholic Catholics, this big um, culture of repentance, right? Where you have to truly repent for something if you expect to be forgiven. And I don't, I don't know for Catholics, if it's, you can just say you're sorry. And that's enough. Like I think of like the confession boots, right? Where you just go in and you say, sorry, and you're good for witnesses. You're placed in a room with the older men of the congregation and you have to talk through your sins. And then they determine whether or not you're forgiven or whether or not you're truly repentant. And in my case, I guess I wasn't. So that was, I was out. Um, and that disfellowshipping really just means the complete cutting off. So anyone in the church, anyone who's an active member, whether baptized or they just regularly go are not supposed to speak to you at all. And in my case, that included everyone I've known before the age of 18, including my family, because it's such a tight knit community. The people you grew up with are all going to be Jehovah's witnesses. Obviously you don't really expand past that. Um, so yeah, it's like I've started a new life from the age of 18 is really what it feels like, which is one of the big reasons for my move to Chicago. And I'm sure the reason that you are so expressive and full of life at the end of the day, right? Like, And it's interesting for Catholics, we have more of a graduated licensing system. Like we have baptism, which is done before we really have any say. And then you have your first communion. And then later on, you have your confirmation. And your confirmation is really where you double down. You're like, no, I'm confirming. I'm in this for the long haul. And that's very much how it goes. Uh, and then we have confession. Um, and confession isn't just, you know, I'm sorry. And sometimes there's penance. Uh, they will say, well, okay, you're sorry, but you got to suffer a little bit based on what I think you should do. And sometimes that's, that's actually going out and doing something that's supposed to teach you a lesson. Often it's just, you know, say four Hail Marys and, you know, pray for the rest of the week, you know, that kind of thing. Like it's, it's very much just meant to 
keep you irresponsible so that you keep coming back and saying, I'm good now, right? And they say, yes, and thank you for asking me because that just validates my importance. Absolutely. So no, it's, um, it's always interesting how we end up in the same problem. And it's always based on this idea that we have the answer and we're so sure of that, that we can't stand anybody questioning. It's terrifying. It is terrifying. And I think that there's this, it's really tricky for me because questions were so encouraged as a Jehovah's witness, like you're encouraged to ask questions, but the older I get, the more I realize it was like, it's almost like they're, they're letting you roam free, but on a leash you don't know is actually there. Um, yeah. And like witnesses do the whole preaching thing, right? So you go to door to door and you have conversations with people that are just covering these topics that are so intense. Like, where do you go when you die? Uh, you know, is homosexuality okay? Like you go knock on someone's door and you start talking about these things that are, that I didn't even realize were such intense conversations until I left. Um, and like, I think that gave the illusion of, okay, if you're allowing yourself to speak with these people of different opinions and get their opinions on these matters that you consider to be so um, solidified, then, you know, you're open-minded and you're open to new things when really, I don't think that's the case. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's funny how that works with, uh, so I'm curious with the shift for you going so starkly from being in something as kind of extreme as that, as most religions tend to be when they're taken very seriously to, you know, one day being in it, one day being out of it. How was that? And, and how was it coming out? Was it a lot of things? And I'm sure like with most people coming out of religion, there's a lot of like trauma to sort of work through, but I can imagine it was sort of that and a sense of freedom from it. I'm curious about that balance you found and, and how you've been able to work through it since. And if, if there are still people you communicate with at all from that sort of past life of yours. Okay. Lot to cover there. Um, when I, when I was first kicked out, I was so, uh, so certain I wanted to go back, you know? So like the only thing that was on my mind was getting back, like doing everything I could to prove that I deserved to return. Um, and I had that, that was like one part of, I guess that made up most of my life, that desire to return. And then there was also the fact that I had just turned 18. I had just been opened up to this entire new world. I mean, it, it, it was like, I felt like I was raised in like the mountains somewhere and I was just like released in the middle of some big city. And all of a sudden I had all these options, all these people, all these experiences, all these things I could do without any consequences. Like there was no longer anything looming over my head because I had the biggest consequence, like it already happened. Right. So like I, I went crazy. Like I went absolutely insane and I had no gauge for how insane you are allowed to go anymore. Um, so yeah, it was, there was some pretty bad years. Like the first two years were really rough and I got mixed up with a lot of wrong people, a lot of bad habits. And it was all, I think it could have been so easily avoidable had I been allowed to be exposed to those things as a teenager with some sort of supervision, right? So it, it felt like it was, it just didn't make sense to me. Um, but now I just am in a constant state of conflict. I don't know what I believe. And I feel this like desire to just know, to have objective truth, because I have this deep down belief that there is objective truth when I I don't think there is. But it, it's just this, this constant yearning for knowledge, I guess, which is the reason I reached out to you, Andrew, because I'm so curious to hear what other people's perception of truth is so that I can kind of like nitpick from everyone else's 
um, truth and find it hopefully what I want to adopt. Uh, that was a kind of a tangent, but hopefully that makes sense. So that's kind of where I'm at right now, where I'm just like soaking up information and trying to figure out what I believe, trying to call out my biases and trying to figure out what I actually want. So yeah, it's a wild ride every day. <laughs> it's crazy. That's that's incredible. Uh, I just want to say, as always, timing is perfect. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, this is very much all about this, that question that you just asked, like, what do I believe? Is there a truth? Yes. And you can't believe in it, which is the real kick in the teeth about all of it. Because as soon as we believe, as soon as we're projecting something as a concept, it becomes this oversimplified version of reality, right? It's kind of like the idea of God, right? There's a God. Well, what does that mean? Well, there's this entity. It's like, hold on. Now, all you've done is you've just come up with ideas about God, and yet every religion says you can't describe God at its core, right? And yet we keep coming up with ideas about God to believe in and hold on to. And that's why we can't continue to learn from reality. Like what you did in stepping away from your religion was what opened up your eyes to how much more of reality there is. That's God right? That's us. Like we're all one thing, except that we get caught up in these ideas and beliefs that make us appear and feel separate from each other. It was never about some external being looking down on us. It was about the insight that we're all connected, that we're all in fact reality moving around, that we're not separate from one another, that as Jesus was saying, you know, we're all the I, that is the way, the truth, and the life. We're all the same awareness expressed in different forms. Or the, the awareness of reality. But if you believe that, it becomes distorted. If you believe that, all of a sudden it becomes egotistical, it becomes something you have to hold on to, something that you're not changing with, something that you compare to other people's truths, right? It's just about recognizing no matter what your perception is, it's not the truth. It's always divisive. It's always based on the illusion that we're separate. And that's okay, as long as you don't take it as truth. And as long as you don't take it seriously and actually start putting lines between yourself and everyone else, you can perceive anything how you like. It's when we start taking it overly seriously, where I start thinking, I am the thing that I think I am. Now I'm in, I'm in danger all the time. Now I have to protect myself. I have to def defend that, build it up, compare it to everyone else. Right? It just separates us. And that's the insight. That's the faith that they're talking about. It's not faith in something. It's just letting go. It's just letting go and being here now in reality. Right. So I always find it funny that spirituality gives spirituality a bad name because it becomes about belief instead of being about the reality of being here now with no concept being able to describe that fully. Yeah, <laughs> I was just going to say that concept became so clear to me when I did psychedelics for the first time. That was a, it's like you don't even have to try to like under it just comes to you. Right. It's just like, oh, of course. Um, it, it's almost like the Bible talks about like the veil that's lifted off the eyes, right? It's, it feels like that where it's like, everything just becomes so clear. The fact that we're just, we're just here experiencing life and we overcomplicate things, I think out of sheer boredom and pride. And it's, um, yeah, I just want, I would love to like, go back to like the start of everything and just to see like, what did people really believe, right? When there was nothing around you other than yeah. Yeah. What did you believe? And then at what point were people like, okay, let's start coming up with stuff. Let's start, let's start adding a little spice. And then when did it get so complicated? And then when did control come in the mix and religion and division and all these things that have, they just, yeah, it, yeah, there's just so much. 
That's crazy. Yeah, for sure. There, there's so much and it's so fun to explore when you're not holding on to any of it as truth. And I knew I could see Ray's, Ray has great facial expressions, as you may have noticed already. But uh, as you're explaining that, like that was our conversation when we were going back and forth on on Instagram. I was like, oh, my God, you would be the perfect guest for us to kick off our first guest of season four. Because and and I knew like your content, you don't talk too much about this in your content. It's mostly, you know, focused on on your job and your work and everything. So I knew that, you know, Ray going through your content, he wasn't going to be able to get that. So I, I explained to him like, no, this is this is going to be awesome. This is going to be a fun discussion because you got a lot of questions and and you're exactly the type of person that we love talking to because you are open. You're you're curious. And that's all it ever comes down to. It's that people are curious and, and open and then they're like, oh, but I have to be something. I have to believe in something. And so they settle on things. And anything you ever settle on, be it a belief about the way reality is or the belief about the way you are, which are essentially the same thing because you're just reality, they cut themselves off from that flow. It's like the idea of yourself. You know, If you hold on to this idea of yourself as truth, the reality of that idea is all based on the past. It's all based on everything leading up to this moment right now. But what are you right now? You are right now. You know, all of those ideas, all of those stories aren't necessary for you to function as reality in this moment. And the letting go of the idea that you have to hold on to any of those ideas about yourself or the way things are, or the beliefs that you hold on to allows you to be free, allows you to express yourself openly, not hold on to the thing that you were yesterday or the thing that you did yesterday, allows you to explore reality anew in every moment, born again in every single moment, free from all of the narratives and all of the concepts and all of the ideas. So yeah, I, I knew this was going to be a fun one and I'm excited to get into it and to get into psychedelics because I don't think I knew that you took <laughs> psychedelics either. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of them. I well, not a lot. Enough enough to have some pretty eye-opening experiences. I think I, I enjoy having conversations like these so much. And I, this is like what I crave, like these kinds of conversations. I feel like it's what's on my mind at all times. But um, I don't know if you guys find this to be the case, but most people get so uncomfortable with conversations like these, especially in any sort of like social setting. I, I have probably like two to three people in my life who I could have a conversation like this with where there wouldn't be so much resistance. Um and yeah, I think these conversations are so fun because this is what it's all about, right? I feel like most of the time, any conversation that's not about this kind of topic is small talk, right? Like this must be what's on everyone's mind, right? These questions, this yearning. And if it's not, then what's going on up there? I don't, I don't understand. But yeah, I'm super excited to be here. This is, this is great. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, likewise. It's interesting because over the last three seasons, we have just by virtue of having this conversation with such enthusiasm, actually managed to gather quite a big audience of people who are having this conversation. Like our Discord is at 650 people who are interested in this conversation. We have group discussions every week with you know, 20, 50, 60, 70 people having this conversation. So it's really interesting because if you look at us collectively as a singular awareness, like we're all synapses in the same brain, right? Then avoiding this conversation collectively is a lot like an individual avoiding a certain insight, avoiding certain thoughts because they make it uncomfortable or they make that person uncomfortable. And what happens? Eventually that person has a meltdown. 
because they're avoiding all of it. It piles up. They have to have this period where they go and they self-reflect and they learn these things that they've been avoiding. This conversation is us collectively coming to terms with an insight that collectively we've been avoiding because everything we do is based on this fallacy that our identity is truth. Everything, our hierarchies, our capitalism, everything that we do in terms of marketing, you want this because you lack, right? Mm -hmm. It's all based on identity. It's the funniest thing, but it's the reason we can't see each other. Yeah. Rooted in ego and being so self-centered, yeah. And fear. See, that's the thing is that we look at egotism like it's a negative thing, but it's a necessary thing. I'm, I'm a parent. I have a, a daughter who's 15 years old. And over the course of her life, I've watched my daughter go from being pure consciousness, pure awareness with no concept whatsoever, right? Like even the idea that I still existed after leaving the room was something she had to learn, right? And then over time, you get an idea of yourself. You're like, okay, so this is me. Oh, everybody's different. Well, how do I measure up compared to all these people who are seemingly different? And the brain immediately starts to play this game where it forms an idea of yourself. And so you go through these stages of ego development where you are learning how to feel safe in an uncertain reality based on a small bubble that you've created called identity. So you can feel like you have some control, some influence, like not everything's an unknown, but it is an unknown regardless, but we convince ourselves it's not so we can grow up into it and actually develop some ability to, to adapt to it, right? That's it, it's a natural thing. We have to form an ego, but through those stages, eventually we're supposed to get to the point where we recognize that the idea of ourselves we're holding on to is actually cutting us off from people who don't share that idea. So now we're cutting off our own growth. We have to question our idea of ourselves in order to be able to empathize with those people by recognizing we're not ideas. So it's just that we got stuck. We just got stuck on this egotistical phase where we think identity is truth. The way I see myself is the equivalent of what gives me value. And because of that, we can't let it go because that would undermine everything that we rely upon to get through the day. Mm -hmm. And that's it. It's not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just that we got stuck and we're not having a conversation about that. Do you, do you guys remember being children and that being so obvious to you, like watching adults and seeing how their identity was so obviously crippling? Like I remember as a little kid watching, especially like close family, like my mother, sister, mostly women, like I'd, I'd watch the way their beliefs about themselves and their history shaped their every day. And it was so clear to me that like, wow, you're just holding yourself back. Like if you just like, just let go, you'd be fine. And it, there's, there's some point there where that was lost. I, I mean, I'd kill to know when that point was and what caused that and what the catalyst was for that was and how quickly it built, but like, and then that cutting off to then finally taking psychedelics and it being clear again, it's, it's just, one, it's wild to me how so many things are so clear to us when we're little kids before we have a true understanding of, I think, the people around us more than anything, our environment. Um, and two, I think it's just neat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it so funny how how kids have it seemingly figured out significantly better than adults? And it, it goes in saying that the process that Ray was just describing, like kids are early on in that ego development, they don't have such a solidified idea of themselves. And then over time, it gets more and more solid because the environment we're growing up in, everyone else has this solid idea of themselves that they're so sure of that in reality is just the root of all of their suffering and creating so much conflict with, with reality and cutting themselves off from recognizing and expressing their true potential, which is what's possible when you let go of that story. 
And so as adults, you know, we have opportunities. I think it's probably easier when you're younger and it gets harder and harder and harder as you grow up because it gets more and more solidified. But, you know, as an adult, if you're able to recognize that, you know, the identity, the label, the story, the name is just a tool. It's not bad. It's not good. It's just a tool to be utilized for convenience sake. An example I like to give is, you know, say there wasn't any any egos being names, identities, whatever. And you go up to a crowd and you want to get your friend's attention, but because there's no names, you just say, hey, you. And everyone everyone turns around. They're like, well, shit, that's not very convenient. That's not very helpful. I want, I want to that you. So it's like, okay, let's let's give everyone a name. And that makes it easier. But we've gotten so lost in thinking that that name is what I am. And the story that goes along with it, all rooted in the past, is the truth of what I am. And it cripples us, as you said, as you saw with, with the adults growing up in your life. And it's fascinating. Like, it's <laughs> fascinating. It's funny when you see it, as we've talked about a number of times. It's not so funny when you don't see that most people, if not all people, are creating their own psychological suffering based on the story that they hold on to, that they bring into every situation. Like, oh, I can't, you know, got to avoid this because this happened in the past and therefore I can't handle this or, or you know, this happened in the past. And so I can handle this. And and then you don't handle it. And then you're like, well, shit. And then the idea goes down and that goes up. And then, and our value goes along with that idea that we hold on to that identity, that story, that name. And so it's recognizing that your value, your wholeness, your completeness is unwavering. It has nothing to do with that story with the experiences that you have, with with the name that you hold on to that keeps that story around. It's it's in letting go of that that you're able to actually recognize your true potential. And, and now we've settled on this idea that having a billion dollars and you know 15 houses is peak human potential. It's like peak human potential is like, you know, am I ceiling up there? And we're like right here right now. And it's because we hold on to the identity as truth because that's how we measure it in comparison, through judgment, and always relative to other people in our environment. Yes. I have nothing to add to that. Yes. <laughs> That's fantastic. Absolutely. So it's interesting because this is like actually something that you were making a point of and have made a point of in your own social media content before about retraining the brain or, or conditioning the mind to go beyond its limits. Like just push yourself for seven minutes. Right. At the end of that seven minutes, you can either stop and you've still accomplished something by training your brain to know it can do that, or you can keep going. That's all we're ever saying about anything related to the ego is like, mm -hmm. question yourself because it's going to be uncomfortable. Question the things about yourself that you rely on for a sense of certainty. And there's a lot, whether you want to admit it or not, there's a lot, there's a lot of concepts that build up habitually over time. And that's it. Just do that to the best of your ability until it's uncomfortable, get used to the discomfort. And then all of a sudden you'll find loads of other opportunities in front of you. Like, for example, um, you dropped out of high school, you're completely self-trained. That would have taken a lot in terms of going through the self-dialogue of, I can't do this. I don't know enough. Other people will do this better because they've gone to school, blah, 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 blah. And you're just ignoring that in order to pay attention to the information in front of you. But if you were focused on you're feeling about yourself rather than the journey that you're on, you probably would have given up a lot earlier. Mm -hmm. Agreed. 
I just want to point out that word ignore is like the perfect, perfect choice um, because those thoughts, they definitely come up. It's just a matter of like moving on despite them. And I, there's like certain people in my life where I, I want so badly for them to grasp this concept one that concept of like, you're not defined by your past, right? Like I want so badly for certain people in my life to like embrace that discomfort, right? Um, and it's really hard to, to get that point across to people that, that you don't have to be afraid of it. The most effective way I found is to turn it into some like physical lesson. So like, um, like ice baths, like pushing past the physical discomfort of an ice bath. And then knowing if you do that psychologically as well, there's also going to be the benefits of then after an ice bath for 24 hours, you feel fantastic and you feel completely clear for just those few moments of discomfort. And like doing that is almost like it kicks off the psychological discomfort and being willing to face it. I don't know where I'm going with this, but, um, but yeah, I, there's just so many people in my life. I wish I could like take this little, this little last five to seven minutes and just like have them grasp that. And I feel like their life would be so much easier. Um, yeah. I just want to say very quickly that if they're going to have an opportunity to do so, it's going to be because their environment changes and offers them more of an opportunity to do so just by giving them an example of somebody doing it by that. I mean, you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Be, uh, be the light onto yourself and others are going to see it eventually, but yeah, that's a fantastic point. And, you know, something, again, we talk about quite often is discomfort is discomfort is discomfort is discomfort, whether it's psychological or physical or mental or emotional, and we all fucking avoid it at all costs, no matter what. (laughs) And so if you're able to put yourself in new situations, it sort of unlocks those doors that you didn't know were even there, be it an ice bath being, be it, you know, starting to run more. I started jogging more after not jogging for like four years, because I've always just told myself that I was a walker and I love walking and it's way easier than running. I don't get out of breath and all these things that I just didn't realize how much of an identity I was building around that to the point where, you know, anytime I tried to run, I was like, Ooh, this hurts, that hurts. And, you know, that was just me going through the discomfort of doing it, you know, four times and being like, no, I'll just walk. Cause I know that it's like, you know, the benefits are there, but it's still resisting that potential change and that opportunity to grow and learn more. And that's all that facing discomfort ever is like growth and discomfort go hand in hand. And so in order to grow, in order to change, in order to shift, you got to go through that discomfort. It's, it's inherent to it. And as you mentioned before, like with ignoring the, the feeling or not, you know, feelings, ignoring, yeah, whatever you can ignore feelings to a degree. And, and it's, it's recognizing that you don't have to take them so seriously, I think. And through that, you're able to see what's just beyond that little bit of discomfort that you're feeling. And and so that's, that's how we grow. It's necessary, but because we're so caught up in trying to avoid that discomfort at all costs, we cut off our ability to grow or see anything beyond, be it at a societal level, see anything beyond what our current system looks like or see ourselves. And, you know, as we get older, it gets harder and harder to, to push past that. But yeah, applying physical discomfort is an awesome practice for being able to face that because it just shows you that, oh, I'm, I'm capable of a little bit more than I thought. And that, you know, opens the floodgates to a degree. Yeah. I have a question for you, Mila, because again, I grew up steeped in religion. So I'm still dealing with some of the programming, even many, many decades later, <laughs> for sure. Um, so the idea of an external God with rules and 
you know, a, a list of things that you're going to do or not do based on its preferences, which it somehow has despite not fearing death and being eternal. It has all these preferences for some reason. Um, leaving that behind, taking responsibility for your own life, do you find in moments of extreme uncertainty and extreme stress that you still find yourself kind of like talking to the universe? Like every day, I still pray. I still pray. Even uh, yeah, I don't think I can see a world in which I would accept that a God doesn't exist. And even if I could, I don't think I'd want to. Like, I, I'm okay with that. Um, I think praying, or I know praying for me specifically, it brings so much inner peace. And whether that's because that inner peace is being given to me by the creator or whether that inner piece is simply because I'm taking a moment to connect with my thoughts and make very clear what I want to need is uncertain, but I, I cling to that very closely. Um, and I, I harbor no like ill will towards the God I was raised to know. Um, and I think in many ways, I deeply respect one, the religion I grew up in, and two, how that God shows up in that religion. Like if there were to be any religion I'd ever be a part of, it'd be the Jehovah's Witness faith. Again, whether that's because of my programming or because I truly believe that, who knows? But for now, that's what I'm comfortable with. Oh, comfortable. Here we go. I'm going to go out on a programming. And no insults intended. It's not that it's programming so much as habit, right? Like yeah. what you just said is beautiful that you pray because it brings you peace of mind because it allows you to, to kind of work through things and, and find insight, whether those insights are brought to you by something else or, or not is not really the, the point, but I would like to, to posit that possibly it's both and neither. It's not that you're not talking to God. It's that you are God. You are talking to yourself and there's more wisdom within you than you're aware of because you're so busy thinking you're thinking of yourself as everything but god you're busy mm -hmm. thinking about yourself as something very limited and small and because of that limited small idea you can't possibly have the answers and so you pray but what you're doing is self-dialogue it's the same as meditation it's not really any different it's just that buddhists and whatnot don't think of of god as being external they don't have that that question about god it's just about their subjective experience right but both monotheism and, and that Buddhist practice are saying the same thing, right? That, that there is a God, that we are all one, that everything is connected, and that you can tangibly connect to that through meditation or prayer. It's just the silence of self-dialogue, allowing yourself to get out of your narrative so that way the wisdom that's in there can kind of come through. I always find it very interesting because as long as you're praying to God, there's almost less insight that's available to you because there's a certain degree of responsibility that has to go with the insight you have in order to enact it. Hmm. It's gonna take me a minute to register that, but yeah. How would you define God? Curious. Oh, I, I would say that, and I'm sorry, Andrew, I'm gonna let you get in on this in just one second. <laughs> um, I would say that God as traditionally defined in Abrahamic religion, as looked at in Taoism, it, Yahweh, it's the ineffable, it's the undefinable, it's the Tao that can't be told. God is everything, everything. It's not God compared to something, it's not God in like as opposite to anything. God mm -hmm. is just 
everything, not everything that is, but everything that could be ever in the here and now. God is what we, God is nothing but unlimited potential that doesn't exist in space and time. We are all expressions of that potential. We are all experiences of God perceiving itself as separate from itself. Right. Alan Watts of you. All right. But it's true. I mean, that's the point is that we are all expressions of the observer and the observed, the relationship between the observer and the observed, all living things are a variation of that relationship, but there is no division between the observer and the observed. It's just perception, right? And that's God is every perception of a division from itself all the time, everywhere, forever, now, right? That's why, that's why God is eternal. It's the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, mm-hmm. right? It's all that will ever be, which is you. Because to you, you are all that is. You are the here and now. Oh, give me a headache. Oh, God. I have such a hard time grasping that concept. Such a hard time. That's where psychedelics come in handy. Yeah. <laughs> or time. Or time. Because it really is. It's the work of of just questioning your idea of yourself, but that's a lot of work. It's way more than we think it is. And then we go out into the world where identity is reinforced all the time and we lose traction. So um, I don't know if you're aware of this. I'm sure Andrew may have mentioned it. We have a retreat coming up uh, April 1st to April 9th, where basically it's just a deep dive into all of this without having to go back to the world and get lost back in, in the concepts that make it difficult to sink into this realization. You are more than welcome to come. And I mean that to the listener as well. We would love to see you. But these these events really are a chance for us to have this conversation in a way where you have a chance to let it settle in before you go back out into the world and everybody distracts you with comparison, right? And competition, you actually have a chance to relax into it in an environment with other people that are relaxing into it. So it's it's transformative in the extreme. If you can ever make it, we would love to see you. And I'm sure that you would love it. Oh, yeah, I'm there. You betcha. Awesome. Yeah. No, the, the discussion of God is funny because it, as Ray said, it's the ineffable, the Tao that can't be told it's indescribable. So no thing we say or thing we point to could ever possibly do it justice. And, you know, a lot of religions believe that God is everything and everywhere all the time. Well, you know, we're something within everything, right? It's funny how, how we recognize that and we're like, Oh, but but God's like, you know, on my shoulder or God's within me. And and we just avoid that recognition at all costs, like the plague. And I think something that's, that helped me recognize that more clearly was through the recognition that I'm not what I think I am. And there's a deepening to that recognition that, you know, takes maybe another number of insights. Maybe it's just one where you're like, holy fuck, I'm, I've never been what I thought I was. I'm, I'm just here now. I'm just right now. No concept, no idea, no story could ever possibly do my idea of myself or the reality of what I am justice. Because all of that, as I was saying before, that entire identity, that entire idea is all rooted in the past. It's all things that have happened, accomplishments, achievements, failures, trauma, stories. But the reality is that you've only ever experienced this moment as the here and now. The name you were given at birth isn't the reality of what you are. It's just the name that you were given. The the body parts you identify as, we say that this is my hand, but you know, is that more or less just just a choice? Sure, I can I can move my hand, but you know, I can't move my arm hair unless 
unless I grab it, now I'm moving it, but I can also, you know, if you were next to me, I could move your arm hair in the same exact way. And so we get caught up in, in this idea that we're in control of our body and therefore that is us. But reality is that there's lots of stuff happening in our body, you know, hearts beating, foods digesting, bloods flowing, all of these things that we're not in control of that we don't necessarily encapsulate in this idea of us like we do the body parts. And so it makes me wonder if that, you know, entire idea identity is not just an idea identity that cuts us off from the recognition that beyond that idea, if there was no idea, then everything you see, everything you touch, everything you hear, everything you smell would be you because it's within your reality. And there's no attachment to the choice you make to identify as something relative to something else. And I know that that getting past the skin as being myself is, is a tough one. I'm I thought this would be like a good trajectory to go down, you know, and this isn't just Mila, obviously I'm talking to you right now, but it's for the listener as well. Um, and I think through that letting go, that recognition that you are nothing more, the idea of you is nothing more than a concept rooted in the past allows you to recognize that, oh, if I'm not that, maybe there isn't so much division between myself and reality. You know, when I go outside and feel the rays of the sun, who's to say that I'm not the sun? I'm feeling it. I'm feeling the sun no differently than I'm feeling the, you know, scratch on my hand or something. And we say the scratch is us, but we don't say the rays of the sun are us, even though there's no division between the feelings that we're feeling and the body that we're experiencing. So through that, it can sometimes be a little bit easier to uh, recognize that without you, there's no not so much division anymore without the idea of you. And through that, it's like, what are you not? Everything exists inside of your mind. And again, psychedelics definitely make this conversation a little bit easier. Like some of my deeper recognitions have definitely come through through mushroom trips, but at the same time, constant questioning of everything that you think you are, of everything you think is is the truth can get you there just the same in a completely sober mentality. What's funny about it is that it actually gets you to being Jehovah's witness. As opposed to being a Jehovah's witness, you are actually being Jehovah's witness, which is what uh, Israel <laughs> meant originally, right? Uh, Israel meant one who toils with God. It wasn't actually about where you were from or, or what race you were or anything else. It was about the mentality that you were in. Yes. Mm -hmm, 100% and the observing. I think there's so much power in just like stepping back and just observing yourself, the people around you, your thoughts. Like, I think that's something that one was clear with psychedelics, yes, but very clear with meditation. It's like when you force yourself to really sit there and like not let your emotions, your thoughts take you on a wild ride and you just watch them. To me, it's like watching a child throw a tantrum. It's like, oh. Okay, you're a little fool. Like you just watch the thing, and then you know it's just it, it's just so eye opening. Um, and I think the older we get, or I guess I should only speak from my experience, the older I got, the more unwilling I was to ask like the why questions, right, or to just delve into trying to ask questions I thought were already answered. And I think the more you're willing to keep an open mind, even on the things you hold to be truth, or the things you think you'd never change your mind on, the more interesting life gets and the more you realize how often your mind does change simply because everything is changing, right? So obviously your mind is going to change along with it if you let it. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And that is the difference. So when Jesus was doing his thing, walking around, spreading parables, throwing seeds and all that, he would always say after the fact, 
you know, let those who have ears to hear, hear. Right. And what he was talking about were people who are open-minded, you know, people who are going to take this in and not just define themselves and compare themselves to everybody else, really drink this in, you know, because there's some good stuff here. And that's all he was saying. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's very much the point is you're talking about the process of expanding your awareness. That's what you're doing, right? Like we get into this habit and we were saying this in ego development where we just want to feel like we're certain. We know what the world is. We know who we are and we just evaluate ourselves by that. But that creates borders. It creates fear, creates a sense of being threatened because you have to defend that and maintain it. And you can't expose yourself to anything different. That's what keeps us in that box. But as soon as we're willing to question that, as soon as we're willing to look back at those things that we're like, no, that's the answer. I don't need to look at that anymore, right? And just look at the uncertainty that goes with that. We grow immediately. We grow immediately. But what's funny is that that path, which starts out by just pushing your limits, by extending what you think you can do, by questioning the, the limitations and the, and the doubts that you've gotten used to, that path eventually leads to a full-blown lifestyle where you're just always in uncertainty. But as a result of being an, in uncertainty, you're like an exposed nerve. You're empathetic. You're quick. You're, you're not thinking about yourself. You're not selfish. So you have an overflowing cup. You just want to give to others because you can. It's not because you're trying to get anything out of it. And so it's just this process of continuing to surrender, continuing to let this idea of yourself go, let this idea of the world go as truth. That's all it is. That's the thing that gets me. It's like, oh, well, the big bang absolutely happens. Like, yeah, according to our perception of time, which we have to question, because we don't know that time works the way that we think it does. That's why we're questioning it now, right? Mm -hmm. Like Einstein, for example, saw the Big Bang is not the birth of time, but the birth of all moments throughout all of time became in existence with the Big Bang. But that's not how we look at it. We look at it as it happened, and now we're sometime after, as opposed to we're in the myriad of all possible moments that came into fruition at the moment of existence. Right. So we have this oversimplified view, but we don't question it because it's simple and we're comfortable. Right. And if we do, we have to reevaluate everything. Mm -hmm. I feel like I need to take a nap. This is so much information's coming in. I can feel like nothing's going to come out. Um, it's funny, right? The way you just described all of that, I think that's what people seek out of religion, at least when they first embrace it. Um, and I think it becomes so rigid so quickly because. I think the very nature of religion right, is to have faith, but when you accept something as ultimate truth, you no longer have faith in it. You know, like, it's like, don't you dare say that to, you know, Jehovah's Witness, <laughs> at least none of the ones I know, but um, yeah, I think it's just wild. Um, again, it's like that blindfold over the eyes. It's weird. Well said. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny. You're like, you're in the throes of us just, being in the start of season four, having gone through like 20 hours of live streaming last week, basically like starting off things and, and we're just ready. We see, you know, you're coming with questions and we're like, let's go, let's, let's dig in. Let's, let's get deep. So yeah, you know, any, any questions that come up, uh, you know, feel free to shoot them over even other questions than, you know, one of the rants that we just went on. Um, but you know, shifting things slightly, because I did want to get to this topic, uh, psychedelics, I would love to hear about your experience with them, 
when you first tried them, if that was like, you know, day after you got excommunicated, you're like, I'm going to go trip my balls off. <laughs> We're not balls. Sorry. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm going to go trip super hard. Um, and I'm just curious about your experience with it. You know, some of maybe some of the stories, some of the insights you've garnered from it, some of the experiences that you've had, just anything psychedelics, because we love talking about it too. <laughs> yeah. Dive in. Um, I've been fascinated by psychedelics ever since I was a little kid. My grandpa, big old hippie, big old, I mean, he took so many psychedelics and he was so open about it when I was growing up. He was a Jehovah's Witness at the time, but he was just very open about his past and hearing just his worldview seemed to be like the one that made the most sense out of everyone in my life. And I was like, well, I wonder if that's because of drugs. So when I, when I was, I think I was 19 at the time, it was like, honestly, probably the hardest time after being disfellowshipped. It was really lonely. I was very scared. I was, um, there was a lot of self-hatred and this like feeling of this is never going to end. Like I truly did, did not see an end in sight. Um, and I went on Reddit and I started reading about psychedelics, Reddit, great place. Um, and people just talked about the power of like, even just taking a shroom or two, right. And just allowing yourself to just experience that, see what you feel and then build from that. So I, I got, I think I got a buy a bag of like six of them and I took like two. And of course the whole time for the first like hour, I was there on my phone, Googling, how do I know when it's kicked in? Or like, how can I tell? Like I was micromanaging it, right. I was like something I got to know. I got to, I got to be able to control this. Um, and I remember I was reading some like web MD article on my phone and like the words just started to look a little funny. I was like, this doesn't look like English anymore. Um, and I just remember feeling the sense of like, it was like taking a big breath of air. It was like, oh, like, like finally I could breathe. And it was just this understanding of everything's okay. Like just relax. Everything's fine. You don't have to control every moment. You don't have to know what's going on. You don't have to know what's going to happen next. You just have to just, just be here. Um, and yeah, it was just very clear to me that I had been like taking myself on a wild ride, almost like I was, um, it felt like a form of self-harm, right? Like, like, like really going into my deep, dark feelings and allowing them to take me over. It was like, I was doing myself wrong. And that made so much sense with that first experience. And it was, you know, that, that psychological acceptance of, okay, everything's fine. I can relax, whatever. I still have like the journal entries from that. And then I laid outside and I don't know if you guys have ever seen an Arizona sunset, but they're stunning. And I lived right at the base of a mountain and I just laid out there and just watched the sunset. And it was just so beautiful. It was the most I'd felt connected to a creator since, you know, I was this fellowship since I was kicked out and it just felt so so warm. It felt like that hug I needed that like acceptance I'd been craving. And it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. And from that moment on, I mean, I was just so fascinated. It took me probably like two months to then do, then I did acid, which is very different. It's a very different experience. Um, it's not as emotional. It's more entertaining and it was definitely fun. You know, I went on a hike with a friend of mine and we hiked through the mountains and watched the sunset in the mountains. And it was absolutely stunning. Um, but the most like profound experiences I've ever had have been on shrooms. And it's, it's almost like you, I would take them when I knew I was avoiding something because you can't avoid it when you like, and I'm sure you guys have experienced that, right? Where you take like a shroom and it's like, okay, I know I haven't wanted to deal with this, but now I'm, I took the shroom. So I have to deal with it. Like it forces you to deal with these things. And um, yeah, it just, it got me through a lot of humps and I haven't done them in a long time. Um, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what it would be like now. I'd be open to it at some point, but it's definitely felt like a 
I think it's always an option. If I ever feel stuck, I know I can go back to a shroom or two and I'll, I'll be fine again. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to say very quickly that the very big difference between being on mushrooms and being on acid is that acid doesn't necessarily wipe out your sense of control. You still have that sense of control. If anything, you feel very clear and very intelligent and very much thinking about yourself. Whereas mushrooms, they take all of the thoughts that you normally think about yourself and they throw them out the window and you're just left in reality naked. And that's where you suddenly witness or experience the divine. Mm-hmm. But it's so interesting because we immediately translate a, that as something that's happening outside of us or something that's happening to us because we view ourselves as a body in reality as opposed to reality, right? Like without you, there is no here and now. You yeah. are the basis of reality, right? Your awareness is the basis of existence. Without your awareness, there is no existence, right? The observer and the observed are the same. So when you get out of the way, when your idea of yourself is not there anymore, what you're experiencing is the vastness of you. We're like, oh my God, it's divine. Yes, you are. You are huge. Like you're massive in how much potential you have, how much is inside your awareness, because your awareness is the awareness of the universe. So everything within the universe is within your awareness, which is why you can imagine so much. Isn't it clear how the interconnectedness of everything is so clear to you isn't it crazy how clear it is to you when you're on psychedelics especially shrooms like it's it's so clear when just that concept of everyone is connected right we're all experiencing the same thing it's just so so crystal clear it's kind of crazy to me it's always clear that's the problem it's that it's just that we get so caught up in fiction Mm -hmm. that we lose sight of it it's always clear it's just that we get caught up in this perception of division that makes it impossible for us to see how everything's connected. We're so busy looking at the differences and thinking that that means division, that we can't see how everything's working together, how everything's aligned, how everything is one big flow. We can't see it, right? Because we're so caught up looking at ourselves as a very small piece of that puzzle rather than the whole puzzle, just identifying as one piece. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So with with mushrooms, um, oftentimes people experience, you know, a lot more relaxation, a lot more freedom from their thoughts. And it's been scientifically proven your default mode network where your, you know, ego, identity, sense of self exists, gets downregulated. And so without so many thoughts, without so many ideas, there isn't really much space to believe in anything outside of the reality that I am here now. Because, you know, the concept of God, the the belief in something separate from you can only exist through thought. Like if you couldn't think at all, you couldn't have any thoughts going on, you know, inside of your mind. You're just here now. You are what is here now. And that's why people have such profound experiences on psychedelics, like mushrooms, certainly, because there's just not so many thoughts going on because all division is conceptual. All the division we perceive in all of reality is based on concepts, which are stories, which are ideas. You know, the division we perceive between you know, myself and either of you in completely different parts of the world or myself and my computer. Like there's, you know, particles and molecules that exist in that empty space that at its core are made up of the same things that that we are. And so all of the division we perceive is conceptual. And so on mushrooms, there isn't so much space for that conceptual division. 
And that's where the profound experiences happen because you're not thinking so much. That intelligence is just what you are without so much concept. And so I, I did have uh, one experience when I was actually in New York, you were talking about, you know, not feeling so disconnected from everyone or, or reality. And it was the highest dose I've taken. I took five grams and it was about after like an hour, which is when I was still kind of peaking, I was like, let's go for a walk. And uh, so I walked around Manhattan, like downtown Manhattan. And because there was just literally like basically no sense of self whatsoever, it felt like that feeling when you're on a treadmill and you have one of those screens in front of you and you see all the stuff like going past on the little television. Like That's what it felt like. It felt like I was placed in a spot and the entire city was was going past me as I was like walking on a treadmill. And I really think it was because I didn't perceive myself as something moving through reality, but something that was reality in which everything was moving through, but also not through at the same time. And there was just no division whatsoever. And so all that division we perceive between ourselves and the divine source, God, reality, other people, other, you know, iterations of God is, is all conceptual. It all exists inside of our mind. And so that's what mushrooms allow people to experience is just reality without so many concepts. And that's why a lot of people can come to these recognitions a little bit more clearly on something like psychedelics. But yeah, they're, they're a fun tool. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cool thing. Um, on what's the highest dose you've done, Ray? Uh, 14 grams. Mm. Ooh, how was that? Was it fun or is that not a... It was intense. Yeah. I will say that, absolutely. Um, and the way that I did them, unfortunately, also increased the uh, efficacy or the potency. I'm not quite sure how to express that. I don't, I don't suggest it to anyone by any means because you don't need to do that. Um, it's kind of like, DMT or anything that removes you from your body and brings you into the world of just unimaginable potential, right? At that point, the point of the experience in that state is to recognize that there's a lot more to you than just your body and your limited scope of imagination that you're used to. Your mind is massive, like limitlessly massive. Mm -hmm. And that's the point of being there. It's the only point of going there. You don't have to keep going there once you understand how massive that is. Once you've gotten a, a good look down the barrel of how limitless your mind is, you don't have to go deep diving like that. You can kind of dip in and out of it as is convenient in order to push yourself and gain more insight and whatnot. It's like you were saying about mushrooms, like you do them to kind of remind yourself like, right, I don't need to be thinking about myself all the time. And it kind of reestablishes this base level. Well, the same is true with questioning yourself at the end of the day like if you do that enough you'll find that base level just as easily so it's really not about the deep dives so much as just recognizing that you're never ever ever looking at the truth right it's that it's that cliff that we're afraid to look over right like we're afraid that if i look past this idea of what is true i'm just going to fall that reality is going to fall apart like me not having an idea of what is or not having a sense of control is suddenly going to equal everything falling apart for me and going the worst possible direction. And it terrifies us. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. But the more you start to recognize like, right, it doesn't actually hurt me to do that. Like, so I practice a style of Kung Fu called Wing Chun. And in Wing Chun, we're taught 
relax as fists are being thrown at our face. We're not relax. That's so counterintuitive to what your body wants to do. Your body wants to tense. It wants to protect itself from danger. But in doing so, it slows down. Mm. It stops moving as effectively. All of a sudden, you're rigid and easy to manipulate. See the symbolism, right? It's all the same thing. Relax. And the more we start to learn that that is actually our biggest gift, that is actually where we shine, the more it becomes easier. But it's in going through it over and over and over again. And so mushrooms, psychedelics, are just a chance to kind of recognize, like, you don't have to know what's happening. You're okay. Mm -hmm. I wonder what would happen if someone put, like, a dose of mushrooms in the water supply for everyone. I feel like that'd be, that'd be great. I love how frequently that comes up. Does it really? It's it's funny, actually, because so I didn't try psychedelics, mushrooms, anything until a little over a year ago, last fall. It was after our first, I think our first episode of this podcast. It's like I was I'd been interested in it for a while and, you know, I was primed and ready. Like I had already recognized some of the, you know, the stuff about, you know, basically that I wasn't what I thought I was. And so and I had not taken any psychedelics yet. And then, you know, I'd been talking to Ray about it a little bit. And I was like, yeah, I should, I should try it. So our second episode is just me and talking about my experiences and like, holy shit, like there's, there's more to this. And so one of the first, I made a couple of TikToks about it because when I first took them, I, like everyone, they have a stigma about them. They think it's this certain thing. And immediately I was like, holy shit, this is, this is not what I thought it was. This is not what what anyone who's never taken them thinks that they are. It's not this thing that's like this trippy thing. Like I I put it in the same category as like black tar heroin and crack cocaine growing up. Like it was all the same sort of thing, all of it. And I was like, holy shit. I just was super chill and relaxed. My mind was quiet. And, and so one of the first TikToks I made was it started out something like, so I just tried mushrooms for the first time and I wish they put this shit in the water and I like yelled it into the camera and just talked about how like, it's not what you think they are. I just felt more relaxed, more chill. And so, yeah, I would say it would be pretty darn interesting. And and I know people like Joe Rogan's talked about how he wishes that politicians, like all politicians had to like trip on mushrooms for at least like one or two times before they took office and just like how different the world may be. But yeah, they really, they peel you back. They allow you to see what's really happening as opposed to what your conceptual idea and, and judgments think are happening because those, yeah, get very solidified and harder and harder to see beyond, I think, the older we get. And, you know, so when we have people in office who are 70, 80 years old who have never thought of things any differently than what makes them comfortable for their entire life, it's going to lead to some destruction. That's for sure. <laughs> All of this said about psychedelics and, and whatnot, I, I think the important part is just to question yourself. That's that's really all we're ever trying to say because I don't, I certainly don't want to come across as somebody who's saying you must do psychedelics if you want to be free because that's not the case. But I will say from experience and the experience of the many, many people I've introduced to psychedelics over the course of my life, there is a mentality that is incredibly hard to break out of without some help when you are deeply immersed in it, when you're raised in it, when you are raised to identify with a group, with a belief, with an, an image of yourself and an image of reality, it sets in. 
mm-hmm. as stone. Your synapses just pick it up as a habit and your brain learns it as such. And because of that, you don't recognize the box that you were in. You don't see it. It's invisible. And so psychedelics in that case suddenly get rid of all that habitual background noise, that habitual thought, that's, that habitual structure that you don't even understand is just habit is suddenly gone. And so you find yourself back on the ground level going, oh, I don't actually know anything. And there's such a relief in that. And I find it so funny because when we're sober, that's the, the admission that we're avoiding the most. I don't know. And whenever we say it, we're terrified of it. I don't know. Instead of, I don't know, let's find out. You know? Why is it a source of fear outside of lack of faith in yourself? And that lack of faith in yourself comes from the limited idea of yourself that you have. Because if you didn't have that limited idea, you wouldn't even be worried about it. You wouldn't doubt it. You would just go try. And if it didn't work out, you would learn from it and adapt and change and try something else. And that's the whole point. Failure doesn't matter if you're not identifying with it. For sure. Um, so in in regards to the you know statement, I don't know, that's something that uh, school really beat into me at a young age that it's never okay to say, I don't know. So I know you have experience with, I believe, homeschooling and then leaving school. So I'm curious just what that was like for you, how you how you got into that, if that was something that your mom kind of got you into early on and, and helped you with, because I know you've mentioned that she was very entrepreneurial. And I'm curious, just that mentality of recognizing that, you know, you can do things on your own. You don't necessarily have to get driven into this system that, you know, is more or less anti-entrepreneurial to a degree. I think especially back, you know, when we were younger, it's become more and more popular and common and whatnot. Uh, But I'm curious about your experience in that and then leaving before you ended high school and and your uh, decision to do so. Yeah, there was a few elements to my being homeschooled. One, ADHD, really bad ever since I was like five years old been diagnosed a few times and it's, uh, it just made it very difficult for me to understand anything I was being taught. And English is also my second language. So when I moved to the U S it was like, I was plunged into school, not only with a group of kids I didn't know, which was weird for me having grown up with only the people in my church, um, to then also learning in a different language and also learning from teachers who didn't know how to teach to someone with ADHD, Um, and I think this at a very young age, I didn't understand my limitations. So to me, it was just, I'm not smart enough or I'm not good enough. Right. So, so that kind of, it, it, I kind of like, uh, that's what I'm looking for. I just kind of gave up, I guess. Like I stopped trying to, because I, whenever I did try, it wasn't enough anyway. So I, my mother decided to homeschool me so that she could have a little more control over, um, what I was learning, making sure that it was also stuff I wanted to learn that was valuable, stuff that I could do with my hands, and then making it so that I could also be with her more. Um, she was a very independent woman. She was always doing something new. We were always traveling, and she was always very big on life experiences. She's also done psychedelics, of course. So she's like, she wanted me to experience life and not just be stuck in a classroom, which I'm really glad she had that mentality. It would have been hard had she not. Um, and, and yeah, homeschool was okay for a few years. Like, uh, 
it was fine when I had her support, but then once her life got a little busier and then it was on me to be my own teacher almost, I don't know how the structure is for your daughter, Ray, but for me, it was, you're given books, you read the book and then you take a test. Like there's no communication with a teacher. There's no sort of support other than your family. Um, and when it changed that structure, I just, I, I just could not. Um, and that, that was around the time I was entering my freshman year. So like I, I made it through my freshman year, but it was terrible. It was so difficult. And I felt like it was just completely depleting. And I had so many things I wanted to do, like travel. I already had business ideas. I was already making money. Like it just seemed pointless to me to be learning about stuff that I was never going to use when I could just live life and learn that way. Um, so yeah, I dropped out and started my business very shortly after and learned a lot from trial and error. And I've, I've never regretted the dropping out. Um, if anything, I kind of, I kind of say that with pride because I'm really proud of how far I've been able to get with that as my background. Uh, but I, I think one that would have been impossible without watching my mother grow businesses. So like I saw the process of starting a business from scratch, marketing, how to actually get people to buy all of that. And then two, being a Jehovah's Witness, having to go up to people's doors and knock and talk to them about really intense stuff took away my fear of talking. So like I'm a good talker and I can I can get myself into any room, which is really, really convenient having a business. So I think there's a lot of factors that played into where I am now, all of which I'm happy with. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine because, well, look, you're you're enthusiastic about what you do. You're not looking to do something for the sake that it defines you or makes you, makes you superior. None of the typical carrot and stick mentality that we're taught in school. I think it's really interesting that as soon as you got back into the schooling system that didn't give a shit about you, it stopped being useful in general because you can feel that disconnect. You're like, okay, so I'm just a moving part. Like I'm just supposed to get through from here to the next year and the next year after that. And then I'm out in the world. Why the hell am I even here? And we forget. It's so funny because there are often judgments about people for not finishing high school. It's like, you understand high school is like a hundred years old. Like that's it. It didn't exist before then. Right. And all of the people that made the world happen up until then didn't go to high school. So it's really important to recognize that high school doesn't equal intelligence, you know, in the same way that being a therapist, a trained therapist doesn't necessarily make you self-aware, right. Or empathetic. And it's just, again, us oversimplifying things in general, right? Like high school means that you are educated. It's like, how, how many things from high school do you remember? Your average person. And they'll tell you, uh, I don't know exactly. You don't even remember how much you don't remember, right? My favorite as a homeschooling dad, and I've told this to Andrew before, is when people will say, well, I can't homeschool my kid. I don't understand enough. So I'm going to put them into the schooling system that failed me. my favorite thing to hear from parents I, over the years i just i just chuckle at it it's like give it a try like what's the worst that could happen you learn something right you actually come back to things that you ignored because they were drilled into your head and irrelevant and you actually find them relevant and you learn like admittedly i've benefited a lot from going back through grade school with my kid right for sure there are so many lessons i've picked up along the way just because they were drilled into my head without me wanting them to be. And so I didn't pay attention. Math, oh my God, that one's blown my mind. Like every time I come back to math, I'm like, this is fun. In high school, not fun. Didn't enjoy math at all. And why? Well, because I had a substitute math teacher for a full year who was so insecure that he would make fun of students for not understanding math. Very much like the experience that Andrew had, right? And that's the point. It's like, 
If the environment's not right, we're not doing anything because we are a part of that environment. We really lack that awareness to understand that the environment we're in really does have an influence over how much we relax into the lesson that we're learning. You can't force somebody to be, right? And that's what we want people to do. It's funny because this is something I learned homeschooling is that the reason that they do repetitive uh, testing, the reason that they do this standardized model of just beating this crap into your head day after day after day, and especially math problems, sheet after sheet after sheet, is because what they're hoping is through repetition, the brain has an insight. That's the hope, is if we just keep you focused on this, eventually your brain's going to go, aha, that's how that works. What a terrible way of doing that. It's just like grinding through life until finally you get something that's at the end of the day irrelevant. You know, this was the thing that got me. It's like, I, I, I want to work with people. I want to be in humanities. I got to get calculus in. Why? It's like, well, because everybody else your age has to learn calculus. Oh, well, that makes it much better. That makes total sense. It doesn't, but we learn to think that way. And then we take that out into the world. And then we stress as soon as somebody's like, do you know this? And we're like, oh God, it's test. You know, my daughter, she doesn't have tests. Blows my mind. There's no tests in her curriculum at all. She has weekly challenges that she does at her own pace. And I talk to her and I expand her context here and there. And aside from that, there's no fear that drives her. There's no fear in her life. That's so foreign to me growing up in the, in the schooling system and religion. Right? So it's, it's so interesting that as a parent, I get a chance to learn from her as much as helping her learn. And I think that that's something that parents miss out on. I think that by putting our kids in school, by not taking that active role in their, their growth process, that we're missing the opportunity to grow ourselves. You know, we have this tendency to think that, you know, I'm an adult, therefore I know everything. And it's like, no, there's so many things. It's like watching a movie once and assuming you know everything that happened in that movie. It's like, no, go back. You're going to catch so many other things, <laughs> so many other things. But we don't want to think that either because there's that uncertainty again. Yeah, it's fascinating how they just beat that fear India pretty darn good. But um, yeah, in regards to to kids and, and growing up and everything, Mila, I know you're audience or you've mentioned it at least on previous podcasts that it's it skews a little bit younger and i'm curious because of how you structure i know you've done master classes you've done courses and all that stuff how you find that teaching those things comes across the best if there's been shifts in that or, or if there's things and aspects of growing up from different schooling systems that you've thought of or, or kept in mind as, as you're teaching these things, or I guess just kind of curious about your approach to that and what you think has, has worked best, because I know your audience typically skews a little bit younger. I don't know what that means exactly. If it's like a lot of college kids, a lot of some maybe high schoolers or just, you know, kids fresh out of college who want to get into social media management, what your approach to teaching is and how you kind of take some of the skills that you've learned over the years to best get that information through to them? That's a really good question. Um, it's like 16 to 24. So some high school students, young adults, right after college. Uh, I think the biggest thing I've learned, so I've, I've done master classes, I've done workshops, I've done like courses where, pe where people go and watch everything on their own and they learn at their own pace, which does not work for most people. Um, and then I've done live classes. So what I've found works the best is hand-holding. So walking someone through what they need to learn, but by 
example. So instead of telling someone, this is what you should do and this is why, it's this is why I do this and this is why, or this is what I do and this is why. Um, and, and then people are really tend to be really bad at motivating themselves, even when they have a clear North Star. It's 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 a struggle, especially when something is new, I've found for people to actually keep themselves on track. So like a lot of communication, a lot of um honest conversations about what they're doing, why they're doing it. And, and yeah, just the handholding and, and not in like a demeaning way of like, oh, they need to be helped, but it's like a, here's what we're doing. Let's do it together. Instead of here's what you have to do, do it alone. Um, and that's kind of the structure I take now where everything is learned live with students. So we, we hop on zoom and we go through everything together. And it's not like we follow presentations. I don't have any sort of like strict outline. It's more like, okay, here's what the general thing we're going to talk about today is here are the points I want to make sure you, you get away from this class. Um, and then we have conversation about it. So getting people to engage in conversation, share their opinions, talk about why they maybe don't think that's the right approach or talk about different strategies and literally just having conversation has been the most effective way of teaching I have found. Um, and the, I, I have this deep love for teaching one. I think it's because it drives me back to, again, when I was a witness, I got to be a teacher so much. And I really loved that element of being a Bible teacher, but I'm not a Bible teacher anymore. So now I get to be a business teacher. Um, so I love the teaching and two, it's really good for me. Like I learn things consistently when I'm having to teach to someone else. And I'll try to make that a habit, especially with TikTok. As soon as I learn something new, I'll make a video about it. Or as soon as I find something that works for me, I'll share it with other people so they can learn. And it like really, it makes it stick for me as well. So being a teacher has been a wild ride. I've had to learn a lot, but I think open communication, teaching by example, and the handholding. Yeah, it's the, what works best. I like the way you put that for sure. And it, again, it's not to it's not to imply that they need us to hold their hands so much as it's our pleasure to do so. I mean, we really want to see them get the most out of this opportunity to facilitate change in their own life. And so we're just being there with them. And isn't that just the point? Right. Like I always find that really interesting in therapeutic relationships and in parenting, in relationships as a whole. It's not until we stop trying to be something, it's not until we stop trying to get someone somewhere or, or get something out of it that we actually are in the present with that person. And then miracles happen. You know, quite literally, things that you never expected to come up, conversations you never expected to happen, insights you never expected to stumble across because you had an image of this person or an image of yourself. And suddenly you just let all that down. All right, here we are. Oh, isn't that interesting? And it's almost immediate. As soon as you relax, it's like there's an insight just waiting there, just, just so you can share it with that person. But it's always just being willing to be with them, right? Without that ulterior motive. Just this is what's good for both of us right now. I like the fact that the way that you come across, and I think you probably got this from your mom being homeschooled, was being interested yourself. Because that's definitely the thing that's helped me homeschool my daughter. It hasn't been, you need to learn this. It's been, this is really interesting. Look how interested I am, right? Let's talk about it. And, and so there's almost this shared property to the journey. It's like we're in it together. And because of that, there's a little bit more progress that can be made, especially, and I find it interesting that your audience is so young because that's the audience or that's the age range where we really are learning that we can put it all on ourselves, that we do have enough to do it in ourselves, that we are enough, but we don't necessarily know that, especially in a schooling system and going through ego development, thinking that we had to be a certain thing to be enough. So that's that's got to be a hard mold to break. So it's interesting. It's like you're perfectly placed for the audience that would resonate the most with your, the lessons that you've learned. Yeah, I think so. And I find it's it's strange. A lot of people will, 
approach, especially this where it's like starting a new business, right? People will approach it with this independent mentality of like, I have to do this by myself. I'm on this journey alone. And it's like, people don't know they want companionship until they have it. So like one is the companionship of a teacher. So you know that you're not alone in the process. If you have questions, you're not going to have to like freak out and figure it out on your own. And then two, it's the companionship of other people on the journey with you as well. So like the other students, I think all of that just really helps. Like had I had that for high school, I would have, my God, finished high school. No, I'm not going to college too. Who knows? Um, so I just try to facil- facilitate environments like uh, adapting to everyone that's partaking in it. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. That honestly sounds a lot like our dual security community. It's a lot of people, as we were saying before, you know, a couple hundred, 650 or so on Discord, a bunch on Patreon who are just interested in having this conversation, don't have a lot of people in their life that they can have it with. People are very resistant to the conversation. And so we've, you know, sort of begun community where they're able to connect with people and realize like, oh, there's, you know, maybe more to learn or or things to experience or other experiences to recognize things through. But I really like how you put your experience and and everything you teach is through you. Like it's things that you are enthusiastic about, things that you learn, you're able to then flip utilizing, you know, a course, workshop, masterclass, or just your social media page, and then give it out to everyone else. And that's very much how I've thought of my content the entire past, you know, two and a half years that I've been doing it. It's all just things that have helped me live more freely enjoy life more, not worry so much, not be anxious so much. And it's like, this is really cool that I can, you know, recognize something and then turn my phone on, say some stuff and then send it out, you know, dropping seeds. It all is all it ever really is, but it almost has to be through you for it to be genuine. It has to be filtered through your own experience. Or it's like, you know, you're just talking about concepts, ideas, something to you know, read in the book that someone else wrote and it didn't really mean anything to you, but you thought it would perform well. So then you just like shared it out there and it's like, no, it's gotta be through you. There has to be that enthusiasm behind it for it to really resonate with people. Cause there's that ability to connect with them. You're like, I know this works because I've seen it work because it's worked for me. Like, that's all you need to know is this worked for me. It's helped me with this certain thing. So I know it's going to work. For other people because at the end of the day you know we're not so different so yeah it's, it's cool to be able to recognize that and and that it sounds like you know coming from your mom's background and what that and whatnot that she kind of helped you to recognize you know a lot of those things or at least understand things through that way and i know for me being able to you know look at things and understand things and then see it in a certain way, but then want to distill it down to a way to explain it that other people can more easily understand, maybe a grander concept than, you know, be able to explain it to a 10 year old or something is something my dad helped me a lot with. He was like, Andrew, if if it was actually an experience I had in college when I was a freshman, I was at a school that I felt very out of place. And I went, I played baseball there and I got in baseball, helped me get in. So I felt like I wasn't good enough to get there on my own. So I had a lot of, you know, uh, imposter syndrome being there. And I was in this class and kids were saying things that I had no idea what they were talking about. My dad was like, Andrew, you're a pretty smart guy. If you can't understand what they're saying, like 
they may not understand it so well themselves. And so through that recognition, I was like, okay, so maybe to really understand something, you have to be able to explain it in a way that a broad span of people can understand, you know, younger children and whatnot. And so that's really stuck with me. And, and I've been able to express that through my content and it's been very helpful. And, and I see that, you know, in your content as well, because for, for even me, for social media marketing and whatnot, it's not a space that I understand very well, but you're able to express it in a way that is very easily digestible for people. And so I'm curious if that's something you keep in mind as you're making your videos, something like that, or if that's just oftentimes how it comes out, or if there was someone in your life that helped you to recognize that, you know, that's actually a great way to express things. I think it's mostly reps. Like if you go back far enough and you go through and see how I used to talk, it's like wordy and it's, it's, it's difficult to uh, grasp. And I think a big part of that was I used to try to sound smart, right. Which then comes across so bad. Um, so now I'm just more, it's almost like I talk to myself. I don't know if that makes any sense. So like I talk like to myself when I was learning the thing. Um, and I like to understand things when they're simply put, put, I think Albert Einstein said, right. If you can't say something simply, or if you can't explain something simply, you don't truly understand it. Um, so if I can't say something simply, I don't share it. So I, I try to really hone in on actually understanding something before I share it with other people. Uh, and I think the thing that's driven, like I've had imposter syndrome in the past too. And the thing that's driven that is my trying to share knowledge I don't have. And that, I think that's rooted in again, Jay, uh, Ray, excuse me, you've talked about being afraid of saying, I don't know, which is something I've definitely been, been afraid of in the past too, feeling like, especially when I was put in the role of a teacher, like I have to have the answers for everything. I have to have the answers for every question I'm asked. I have to have, I have to know everything about the industry. And when I let go of that and just shared the things I truly understand, I truly am enjoying, I truly use on a day-to-day basis and find work. And it's easy to talk about, obviously it just kind of flows off the tongue and then the reps practice course and feedback. My students are brutal sometimes. So it really helps me hone in on how to say things well. And you're open to it, which is really the important part, right? Like the same is true for our community. They inform everything that we do. Each and every episode is largely the result of the communication that we have with our community back and forth, their feedback, their thoughts, their questions, as well as some of the people who don't necessarily like the content that we're making. Right. But it always comes from this is my experience subjectively, right? Because it has to, especially with this conversation. But I think with every conversation, like if it doesn't, if it doesn't have actual meaning to you, it's not going to get across, right? It ends up just becoming a, a sales pitch instead of an actual insight that you're sharing with any degree of enthusiasm. And, and I think that's what's important to bring that insight to someone. Like there have been times when people who have said, I don't agree with you but I'm so interested in how excited you are about the insight that you're having. Like they just enjoy watching me go through the process of whatever it is I'm processing, right? It's not that they have to agree with me, but they get excited about the idea of just thinking because I'm enthusiastic about going through this stuff, right? And so, yeah, it has to be derived from yourself. And what's interesting is for me at the far end of letting go of everything that I think I am, I'm everything, right? So everyone I talk to is another opportunity to learn from myself. It changes everything about my experience, right? It really just comes down to getting rid of all of those borders. So I just thought I'd drop that in there quickly. I think it's so funny. Had I heard you say anything like that in the past, like what you just said about you being everything, right? I would have thought that was so egotistical, right? And it didn't 
it it makes sense now but like when I think of people hearing conversations like this that don't understand them it probably we probably sound crazy right a little bit yeah absolutely yeah. it's like the uh, the quote that people who are dancing look crazy to people who can't hear the music yeah that's it's funny even even saying that that would sound very egotistical it's so funny just bringing up some of our recent experiences on on social media um i don't know Mila, you may not have come across them because i just posted one last night and one like an hour before this call but they were uh back-to-back doozies i would say and uh really throwing people for uh for a loop i guess uh but a lot of people are coming coming at us saying that this is incredibly egotistical and they don't recognize what egotistical means like ego is our sense of self that is something divided from reality the perception of division that is merely a perception that is merely an illusion it doesn't actually exist but it's super useful in order to have this experience the example i gave before point to a crowd no one has a name you say you everyone turns around it's like fuck we should we should add names it's like all right let's start doing that but it's never the truth and so yeah people get very caught up in this this idea that recognizing that you're not what you think you are that you're something much vaster much much bigger than the limited idea of yourself is egotistical because we have this idea that you know egotism means you know you have a grand like a bigger bolstered idea of yourself because we're living in the conceptual recognizing that you're everything would seem like the most egotistical thing ever but it's not that andrew is everything it's that i am which is an andrew <laughs> nicely said it's very much like and i was trying to explain this early on when i joined TikTok. people think we are one and they go oh okay so all of us individually are connected which is kind of true but it's more accurate to say there is no we there's just i from infinite perspectives right like we are all very much like different eyeballs on the same brain seeing reality from a slightly different perspective just because we see things differently doesn't mean that we are separate right but we tend to assume that we are but very simply Ray, very nice Ray. it's like you were saying earlier i've just gone through this a lot it's just the reps like this has been half of my life in this mentality of just trying to break down the concepts that that make it so difficult to communicate something that is otherwise obvious because it is, it's obvious. It's just that we're so committed to a certain way of seeing things that we can't, we can't see it. It's not that it's not there. It's just that we're so caught up looking at the prison that we've created, not recognizing that it's blocking off the rest of our reality, right? And so it's just the reps. I'm definitely very happy that you joined us today because this conversation has been a lot of fun. You have a lot of questions and where you are in your journey is incredible. It's exciting. Like this is where things get fun because you're no longer constrained to what you think is reality now you're starting to question everything that you think is reality which is going to inevitably lead you to freedom which is not knowing what reality is except that it is you that's all you need to know and just get into that as much as you can and empathize with everybody else going through the same intense uncertainty because we are all in this together 
I mean, that's how we come together. Uh, we are coming up to the hour and a half mark, so we are going to start to wrap this up. Mila, normally what I do is I ask people if they can leave a little tip about uh, mindfulness or how do you get out of your thoughts, things like that. For you, I'd like to specifically ask you, when you are tackling something that your habitual self-perception is struggling with, continues to say, you can't do this, you've never done this, other people might be able to do this, what would you say outside of just ignoring it, which is obviously my, my own tactic, what would you say is, is a helpful way for people to either remind themselves that that is not reflective of truth or to focus past it so that way they can continue to see some degree of progress? So two things I do. <clears throat> One is I write down the times I felt that in the past, moved past it, and then what happened almost every single time. It's gone far better than I expected it to. And I've proven to myself that my thoughts were just holding me back. Um, and two, I use photo booth on my Mac. I abuse the hell out of that thing. And I will record my thoughts and then I'll listen back and hear myself talk. It's so easy for me to be objective with other people, right? So if I, I can hear someone talking about their limiting beliefs and the things that they think about themselves, and I can point out, can give, give me a whiteboard. I'll point out all the things that you're saying that are holding yourself back, right? All the things that are false. If I put myself in that position to then observe myself and do that to myself, it's far easier for me to move past it rather than um, trying to give myself advice internally. So I'll listen to that back. And, and then from that point, usually I can say, okay, we got to ignore it. And I just got to move past the discomfort, not trying to avoid the discomfort, but just embracing it. Um, and it's also the physical element of it too. Like I mentioned the ice baths earlier. Um, I am a tall girl. And when I was growing up and I was getting tall, it was painful. You know, I'd feel it in my shins. I'd feel it in my back. I felt in my arms and that pain was a result of the growing. So I remind myself of that as well, that there's discomfort with the emotional growth and I've experienced that physically. So it's an easy point of reference. Um, yeah, that's what I do. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm over here taking notes. I'm like, damn, this is some good shit. I'm about to use all this stuff. But uh, yeah, Mila, holy shit. I knew this was going to be a good episode as soon as we were going back and forth. And thank you to Tim Chiazano. If you ever listen to this episode, he is the one who put Mila and myself in touch just a couple short weeks ago. Um, so thanks to Tim, a previous guest of Dualist Community. And yeah, I knew this was going to be awesome. And again, exceeded all of the expectations that I may have had for this episode, which I, you know, try to avoid at all costs, but regardless, this was incredible. And it's funny, you know, talking about the symbolism that this is our first guest we've had on since we quit our jobs. And I see this conversation as very similar to the first episode of Dualist Unity that we ever had. And instead of, you know, Mila being very curious and asking all the questions, it was me being very curious and asking all the questions and very funny to see it sort of come full circle in a way, but Mila, you're incredible. Thank you for some, so thank you so much for coming on and joining us and having this conversation with us. I think people are really, really going to enjoy the back and forth we have had here. And I'm looking forward to you know, being in touch again soon and, and chatting in the very near future, hopefully. Thank you for having me. Seriously, a great conversation. I've been dying to have a conversation like this. So thank you. Well, we're definitely going to have you back. And I'm not going to lie. I always have lofty ambitions. I'm very curious to get your perspective on what it is Dualistic Unity is all about, what we've been growing over the last three seasons, and the fact that 
the community that's forming is very much like what you were saying earlier in terms of if I had this around when I was going through high school, it would have changed my story. Mm-hmm. When I woke up, I was absolutely alone. I didn't have anybody to bounce this off of for a while. And then I really had to just kind of work through it. Had I had this conversation available, had I even known this conversation was acceptable to some people, it would have changed everything for me. And so that's very much what this is all about. That's what dualistic unity is, is just a creation of a safe space to have this conversation. So that way other people can have it with themselves or whoever is around them and explore those opportunities. And so as you go down that path, Mila, I do hope that you will come back to the show, chat with us again, but also reach out anytime, join the community. These conversations are so much fun and we would love to have these these discussions with you more often as we move forward. Thank you. That all said, we are gonna wrap the episode up here. Do remember to join us on Patreon for weekly group discussions. We also have a free weekly public chat coming up on Wednesday. You can register at dualisticunity.com. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye, everyone.